There's a lot of people in here this morning. You're awful scary looking. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, before I pray for us uh, this morning, um, uh, Jeannie Donaldson's in the back. And if you've been given, you want your giving statement during the welcoming time, if you'll just go back there, she's uh, in that corner over there, uh, she'll be able to hand that to you for your uh, tax purposes. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just lift up uh, Selena this morning, Lord. We're just grateful that uh, she's not in the hospital anymore and that uh, she's doing better. And so, God, we just pray, God, that, that uh, you just get her back on her feet. Please uh, give her and, and Brother Jeff some rest. I know they had quite an ordeal the uh, last few days and uh, being in the hospital and stuff. So we just ask, God, that you just be with, uh, with them. And, Lord, and, uh, I just pray that uh, today would be a, a great day in your house with your people, and, and you would be blessed and, and pleased, and, and people today would be helped. And we, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, yeah, take five minutes and welcome.
seat. And so uh, first, first thing is, before I get started, the one thing that's not on my sheet. So uh, if you're interested in volunteer, volunteering in the nursery, um, so what Savannah needs is I'm going to pass this list around. If you already signed uh, one of these, uh, you know, in the past, um, sign it up again uh, that you're willing to do that. Uh, youth and children ages 9 and up can sign up as helpers only during Sunday service. And again, even if you're already on the list, please sign up again so she can have an accurate number of who wants to volunteer. And then, uh, so we want to invite you to Saturday night. Uh, we have our freeway service here. Uh, dinner's at 5.30, and uh, freeways, or the, the gospel message is shared at 6 o'clock. If you know anybody that's struggling with addiction, you know anybody that just, uh, you know, needs to hear the gospel because they need to get saved, it's a good thing to come on Saturday night. And if you're also interested in helping, um, if you're interested in helping in the nursery on that on Saturday nights, I know you can see Caitlin for that or talk to Brother Mike for that. If there's another area that you'd like to serve, uh, you know, like cleaning up, serving food, whatever, uh, just make sure and talk to Mike Simons about it because he, he can never have enough people um, to, to be able to be a part of that ministry. It's a very important ministry. Uh, Wednesday nights, uh, dinner here is at 6 o'clock. Uh, we have a class up here at 6.45. Um, uh, this week we're, we're talking about uh, how do we respond to temptation. So it's a, it's a good thing. And uh, we eat really good too. Uh, prayer team meets at 6 o'clock over here on the side door in the hall. Uh, men's Sunday night Bible study. So it's 6 o'clock in the basement tonight. Uh, women's Sunday night Bible study is in the sanctuary. Brenda? Where's Brenda at? Is it in the sanctuary? Oh, it'll be in uh, downstairs in the kids', kids room at 6 o'clock tonight as well. Uh, no women's coffee this week. And, uh, and also, too, the discipleship class uh, that Denny and Max um, do on Sundays, at, typically at, what, 4.30? Um, so uh, they're going to watch the Chiefs game. So, so I was told to tell you that if you are a part of the discipleship class on, on Sunday nights or Sunday afternoons, depending on how the game goes, like, you know, if, if the Chiefs are really blowing them out or the Chiefs are getting really laid out, whichever one happens, you know, then, then it could start at regular time. But, but if not, if it's like a real close game or whatever, just uh, just probably uh, wait till the game's over with before you head up here, because there might not be anybody here. So, so uh, women's winter game night is February 6th at 6 p.m. Uh, bring something you would like to put in a pot of soup. I just want some soup. So bring something so I can have some soup. Uh, women's retreat, uh, it's in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, April 28th through May 1st. It's $160 a person. Space is limited to 12 ladies. Um, volunteer at Voice of Martyrs. Visit uh, Pioneer Women, Pahuska, and more. And then, um, oh. and then, what is this? Oops, sorry. And then uh, Parents' Night Out is February 9th. February 9th, so ages 4 to 12. Cost is $10 a child. Uh, there's going to be dinner, games, and a movie. I might come to that. And then uh, Grief Share. 
uh, starts February 1st. So see either Stephanie uh, Ragsdale or you go ahead, Stephanie. And it's normally uh, Thursday nights from 6 to 8. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, also, um, so chocolate-covered strawberries are on for sale now. And um, so if you're interested in buying some, uh, please see Tammy Hoff. And then also, too, as she mentioned, uh, she asked me to send this around. So if you got time, I know a lot of you are busy, but if you got time or you know some people, right, you work with or friends or family members or whatever that would want to buy some, uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you're asking people or whatever because she needs some help selling them. And all the money you raise is going to go to the mission uh, for the mission team that's going to head down uh, where uh, Trey and Savannah is at to Florida that Brother Mike is, is leading. So it's for a very good cause. I mean, I can only buy so many dozen. And so, but, uh, but I'm going to send this around. So if you're interested, you know, some people you can sell it to, or you want to sell for, uh, for that, please let her know and sign up on that sheet. And then a marriage retreat, it's, uh, through Living United. It's February 16th and 17th. It's, uh, at Chateau on the Lake. So you can sign up online. I see brother Jeff. Uh, I know he'll be, uh, he, he'll be back after today, so if you have any questions or whatever, talk to him or Selena. They can give you anything that you need to know. And then also uh, a, a praise report, right? Cody Shaver graduated the Air Force Boot Camp, if you've seen on Facebook. So that's cool, right? Amen. So, so, so Brian, he's at Firefighters, Fire, Firefighting School in Goodfellow, Texas, and so so he asked me to let you know he's got a new address. So, you know, if you know Cody or whatever and you want to encourage him, send him a letter. And the way to do that is the address is back, back there somewhere. Uh, or see, see Brother Brian, and he'll give it to you. Or, or Abby, obviously. And then, uh, did I get it? We go, all right, we're good. Man, you guys are not as bad trouble as you thought you were. All right, so let me, let me pray for the offering this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity to be able to give back. We ask you that we'd be good stewards with everything that you give us, God, that uh, we'd use it with the mission in mind that we're going to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to support more ministries, Lord, that are doing that very thing. And also, Lord, for the, the growth of your people, Lord, within this body or others. 
So I just pray, God, that uh, you would bless the ones that are able to give, and we are grateful to be able to give back to you a small amount, uh, Lord, of, of what you have already done for us. So we are grateful to do that, and we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burden down, glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burden down, I'm so happy, oh, so happy, since I lay Singing, so yeah, but you know, 
that song is illuminating the last two days. So you guys are going to get to do that song in a minute. And we're going to praise our Lord together with it. But first, we're going to do Chain Breakers. Because you know what? If you have sin that you can't get out of your life, guys, man, he is a chain breaker. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice in the same old lies, you've been trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life, there's a better life. seat if you want. So uh, so turn over to 2 Samuel. We're going to be in the Old Testament today. 2 Samuel 12, 13 through 15. When you get there, say amen. 
Oh, uh, Children's Church. If you want to send your kids to school. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to... Uh, who in here likes a comeback story? Yeah. I mean, I like... Yeah, amen. Me too. So this is what we're sort of going to talk about today. Hey, we're going to talk about David's comeback story. But, but I want you to understand is, is David would have never came back from what he, what he did if he wouldn't have done what God told him to do. Oh, 2 Samuel 12. That's okay, Stephanie. 2 Samuel 12, 13 through 15. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So David would have never made a comeback if he would not have done what God had expected him to do. So let me pray for us. We're going to do a little bit different today. I'm going to pray right up front, and then uh, and I'm going to give you some background, and we'll just go from there. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just help me, Lord, to be able to to have freedom, Lord, to, to declare your word, and I just pray you remove me from everything, and I just pray, God, that, uh, that you would just um, have your way with each one of us in here today, God. I'd be foolish to think that everybody has a relationship with you that's in this, in this building today, God. And so, Lord, you know those people that, uh, that have been holding on, the ones that need to truly uh, repent and believe on you and get saved. And also, Lord, you, you know the, the believer, Lord, that's been struggling, as that song says. They've been struggling with the same old sin, Lord, that they won't let it go. They won't give it up. And I pray, God, that today would be that day that they would, they would uh, turn away from it, God, give it all to you. So you could accomplish your purpose in their life, and that is to, to become more like Jesus. And so we thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So let me give you a little bit of background about David. So in, in 1 Samuel 13, right, the Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart. And so God sends Samuel to go find this man, and, and, uh, and Samuel says, hey, don't look, don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And so he tells him in 1 Samuel 16... He finds, uh, he finds David, and he says, anoint him, for this is the one. And then in 1 Samuel 17, David, right, we know the story of uh, David and Goliath, and David prevails over Goliath. And in 2 Samuel 2, David's anointed king over Judah. And in uh, chapter 5, he's anointed king over all Israel, 716. God makes a covenant with David, and he tells David this. He says, your house and your kingdom shall always be established forever before you. Your phone is going to be established forever, David. Can you guys turn me down just a little bit? Can you guys hear me okay? So by the time you get to 2 Samuel 11, right, God's man, the one that he chose to be king, right, he, he commits adultery. He gets the woman pregnant that he committed adultery with. He tries to cover it up by bringing the husband back. He's trying to get the husband to sleep with her so he can cover up, you know, his mess. When that doesn't work, right, he, he has that husband killed. And then what he does is he marries the woman uh, so he can claim the son as his own and cover up the adultery completely. That's, that's, that's his thinking. And, uh, and so then 2 Samuel 12, God sends the, the prophet Nathan to confront David with his sin. And so what, so what Nathan does is he tells, uh, he tells David a story. And he says there's two guys. One's a rich man, one's a poor man. The rich man has everything. The poor man has this one little lamb. And he said, one day a traveler was coming by, and, uh, and, and when that traveler came by to see the rich man, the rich man, instead of taking out of his own, what he does is he goes over to the poor man and takes the one little lamb that that poor man has. 
instead of taking out of his own stuff. So as he's telling the story about the rich man, David's getting angry. And David basically says, in my words, he says, man, that guy needs to die. And Nathan looks over at David and he says, it's you, David. You're the rich man from the story. It's you. And, and that's where our passage is, picks up right here. And so, so as, soon as, as soon as Nathan says that to David, this is David's response. And, our, and uh, so 2 Samuel 12, verses 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. And so today what we're going to talk about, we're going to look at how David's life was restored, how God restored David. And so the first thing I want you to know right up front, what did God do? Right When, when David did all this sin... What did God do? The first thing I want you to understand this morning is, is God watched everything go down. He watched it all. He watched him commit the adultery. He watched him trying to cover it up. He watched David arrange the murder of Uriah. Right? The same God that looked into David's heart and made him a king is the same God that watched everything David did behind closed doors. I mean, and it's a good reminder for all of us, right? Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So, so what I'm trying to, I want all of us to understand this morning is I, I tell the freeway people, like we went up and taught season four class, and the one thing that got me through when I didn't have any accountability, I started living on my own again, I left the discipleship house, the one thing that always kept me going in the straight line is knowing that these passages, knowing that, that even though that I was in that apartment by myself, there was always me and there was always God. And I always knew that, right, if I got engaged and, and, and fell into some sin or, or purposely got into some sin like David did, I knew that God couldn't bless me. He couldn't use me. And the same thing applies to you. You say, I want to be blessed. I want to be used. I want to be in God's favor. I want to have fellowship with Him. It's never going to happen if you're living in sin. It's not going to happen. So what you're doing behind closed doors, you have to understand, is God's watching it all. The second thing we want to see is the Lord sent Nathan the prophet, right? To confront David with his sin and his consequences. And so, in other words, when Nathan's speaking, he's speaking on whose behalf? speaking on God's. God's the one that sent him. These are God's words to David. And so, so don't miss this. God loved David so much, even though he'd done all those things, God loved David so much that he sent Nathan to confront David with his sin so David would confess his sin, turn away from his sin, so he could be forgiven. That's how much God loved David. So you came in here this morning, you say, man, I, that's amazing to hear that God loved David that much, but maybe I don't think God loves me that much. And I want you to understand this morning that you're here today because God wants you to know, he's using me to tell you that he so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that if you only believe and repent, that you'll have everlasting life just like David, just like me, just like anybody else that's saved. Or maybe you're thinking this morning, right, you say, man, I've got too much sin in my life. I've got too much red in my ledger. There's no way God would forgive somebody like me. 
And it's a lie, my friend. Right? Maybe you did walk in here this morning, and you're, in a, you're an adulterer, and you're a liar, and maybe you're even a murderer, just like David. But we see from the example right here that God is willing to forgive if you're willing to confess and forsake it. That's good, isn't it? It's good. Man, it's amazing. Now, when David was confronted with his sins, a couple things he didn't do. The first thing he didn't, uh, he didn't do is he didn't try to justify his behavior. He didn't say, well, God, I just happened to be on that roof that night, and man, you know, the flesh just took over, and the devil made me do it. He didn't say that. He didn't make any excuses for his sins either. Right? David said this. He goes, I've sinned against the Lord. Now, it strikes me, and it's crazy, because David didn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba, the woman I committed adultery with. He didn't say that, hey, I've sinned against Uriah, the man that I had killed. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why would he say that? Because he did sin against both those people. Because David knew that all his sins were against God. They ultimately, supremely, that the person, the one person that he sinned against the most was a holy God. A holy God in heaven. And, and, and David says this in Psalms 51.4. David says this. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And every time we engage, any time that we purposely say, I'm going to engage in this sin, this lifestyle, this thing that's contrary to the word of God, this is what we need to be looking at. This is what we're doing. We are, we are sinning against the holy God. So when David's confronted by Nathan, he immediately confesses sin. He's told this. This is the beautiful part. As soon as he confesses sin, he's told by Nathan, speaking on God's behalf, the Lord has put away your sin. Now, what did he mean by that? When the Lord told David that he put away his sin, this is what it meant. He was telling David, David... I'm never going to use these sins against you. I'm never going to judge you for them. I'm never going to condemn you for them. David, I'm never going to wait until sometime in the future when you mess up again, and I'm going to throw these sins right back in front of your face and remind you of what you've done against me. He's not. When God said, I put away your sin, he says, I'm never going to bring these sins up again. Why? Because you are completely forgiven. 100% forgiven, not 99.9% forgiven, you are completely forgiven. Just as Isaiah reminds us, I'll remember your sins no more. Just as Jeremiah echoes the same thing, this is what God is telling David right here when he says, I'm putting away your sin. And I'm thinking to myself, right, as I'm going through this, when he's talking about being completely forgiven, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are what? completely forgiven. God's never going to judge us or condemn us for the sins that we committed before we got saved. When we go to heaven and be with him, he's not going to say, man, you did this, you did that, or whatever. It's not. He's going to say, you're my child. You come on in. What I prepared for you is going to be amazing. You're going to enjoy it for eternity. That's what he's going to say. The reason the Lord said you shall not die is because David should have died. God had already said in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that if you commit adultery, that if you commit murder, you need to be put to death. That was God's standard. So, so when, when God said, you're not going to die, he was saying, hey, this is, he said, David, I'm not going to give you what you deserved. 
I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what you need. And what you need, David, is forgiveness. And when he gave that forgiveness to him, when he, when he put away his sin, there's one word that covers that, and it's grace. It's grace. It's not giving David what he deserved, but giving him what he needed. And that was the forgiveness. In Psalm 32, 5, David said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David wrote that. I'm so thankful, right? God didn't give me what I deserved because I wouldn't be here today. I'd be dead. I'd be in hell for eternity. And you too. So don't miss this. Even though he's forgiven, even though God's not going to bring these sins up ever again, David's sins still had consequences. They still had consequences, right? That what the scripture says, you reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. And so he still had consequences, even though God forgave him. So the first consequence of David's sin was that the child that was going to be born from the adultery, God said, the child's going to die. The child's going to die. Verse 14 says, however, because by this deed... You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child who is born to you shall surely die. Now, who is? Who's, who said David's son's going to die? It was God himself. It was God that pronounced the discipline. It was God that pronounced the judgment on David for his sin. Now, I ask myself, why would God do that? Why would God take an innocent child? Why would he take an innocent child? Because... Here's the thing is, God is always concerned about reaching more people so he can save more people, so he can add more people to his kingdom. If the child of the adulterous relationship had been allowed to live, the message of God's holiness and judgment would mean nothing. When, when, when people would say God is holy, it, it, would mean, it, it would mean he ain't that holy if he let a guy get away with su- such a thing as committing adultery and murder. Right? People would have thought that since God tolerated David's terrible sins, hey, God's going to tolerate the sins in my life. I guess since David got away with it, man, I can go out here and I can murder. Hey, I can go out here and I can have an adulterous relationship. God's not going to judge me for it. That's why. So when God disciplined David, it said three things to David, and it said three things to the unbelieving world that God was concerned about reaching. The first thing it said is that, they, that, that God loved David. God says in, in Hebrews 12 that he says he disciplines every single son whom he receives. He says, that in fact, if you go out here and you engage in sin and you don't receive any discipline from him, he's saying you don't belong to me. But if you go out here, you get off in some sin like David did, and God gives you discipline, he says that is the evidence that you belong to me. <coughs> The second thing it told David, and it told the unbelieving world, is that David was forgiven. It was forgiven. God let David live, but he took the child. And three, the third thing it said to David, and the third thing it said to the unbelieving world, that God hates sin. He hates it. Sin has to be judged. In other words, if it didn't have to be judged, Jesus Christ would have never had to come into the world to do what he did. we got to take our sin seriously, ladies and gentlemen. We see how serious God was looking at this, an adulterous relationship. 
We know from the first five books in the Old Testament, God says a person that commits that should be dead. In fact, he orders people to do it. But today, right, we engage in these things, the things that I engaged with before I, I got saved. I mean, I went from one immoral relationship to another immoral relationship. But the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Is we think because God doesn't judge our sin immediately that we're good to go. Right? If the hammer came down right like it did with David when we had sin in our life, man, that would change something, wouldn't it? So we think that God's forgotten about it, that we're getting away with it, that God's not seeing it, that God's not going to judge it because he hasn't judged it at that moment. But God is watching, and God's going to judge your sin. And if you belong to him, he's going to discipline you because he loves you. So two things we need to understand this morning. Your sin always has consequences. Always. So before I was saved, right, I was a drug addict for 27 years. Every decision, I mean, every decision I made was about getting high on crystal meth. Every decision. The Bible, God calls it idolatry. Because I was worshiping the drug rather than worshiping and giving thanks to God. And so because of that, right, consequences of my sin, six and a half, seven years of my life, gone for forever. Jails, prison, institutions, and rehabs. I didn't have any relationship with my two sons. The people I loved and cared about stayed away from me because I'd burnt those relationships down to the ground. I hadn't really had no friends, no real friends. I mean, financially, I was destroyed, credit bad, enormous debts to the government, enormous debts to child support because I was a deadbeat dad. I was homeless, jobless, friendless, and helpless. Why? Why? Because of my sin. Because of my sin. Proverbs 13, 15 says, The way of the transgressor is hard. What he means by that verse is, is when we're not living to the standard of what God says to live, that life's going to become hard. And so that's as an unbeliever, and it's also as a believer. So yeah, you could be saved in here this morning. right? You're going to go to heaven and be with Jesus for eternity. Absolutely. If you're saved, that's exactly what's going to happen. But let me tell you, if you're engaged in some sin, you have a lifestyle of sin going on behind the closed doors that God's watching, I want you to understand is this life's going to be really hard. And if you want to read, read about it, right, you, you, if you're already experiencing it, in Psalms 32 when David says, man, my vitality's gone, I'm groaning day and night, I can't sleep, your hand is heavy upon me, Lord. That's what you're feeling like right now if you've got something in your life you're not giving up and you... And he, and, and you belong to him. But then if you still disregard that, you say, well, I'm still, I, yep, I feel the hand, it's heavy upon me. Yep, I don't care, I'm not going to give it up. Then, then, then life's going to get really hard for you on, the, on this side of the ground. And if you keep on, and you keep on pushing God, one day he's going to take you out. He ain't going to let you do that. Because you're destroying the testimony that he has in you. Listen, I want you to be encouraged this morning because God stands ready to forgive. He'll forgive you just like he, he forgave David. He'll forgive you just like he forgave me. But just remember that your sin has consequences. It always has consequences. Two, your sin always affects other people. When you sin, it's not an isolated event. It's not in a circle. You put a circle around yourself. When you sin, the sin stays in that circle. It doesn't do that. What it does is it always affects the people that are around you. Who did David's sin affect? 
Well, we can definitely say Bathsheba, right? Even if Bathsheba was a willing, uh, willing person in the adulterous relationship, right? David's sin, right, is going to cause, uh, cause, her, cause them to lose their son. So David's sin affected Bathsheba. David's sin affected Uriah. I mean, he was here one second, and then he's murdered the second, uh, the next. David had that arranged. And then also, who's... who's Whose sin did David affect? His child's. His child's. God said, David, I'm going to take your son because of your sin. I'm going to let you live, but I'm taking your son. Now, I think to myself, you know, my sin affected other people. As an unbeliever, right, I got a 34-year-old son right now that I have no idea where he's at. He went down the same road that I did because the way I was living my life, I was in prison the first five years of his life. I just was never there for him. And I don't have a relationship with him today. He needs the Lord just like I needed the Lord. But, uh, but we don't have a relationship because that's one of the consequences due to my sin. Right? I have a, th- a three-year-older brother that committed suicide that might be here today. I don't know, but he might be here today. Um, if I would have been a good brother, a, a brother that he could have called, you know, picked up the phone and called and felt comfortable enough to share with me what's going on in his life. I have a mother in Mount Vernon, right? She, uh, for 27 years, every night, she's worried that she's going to get the phone call that I'm dead or missing, right? And so all that worry, all that for all those years, I mean, it, it, it's probably, it probably affected her life. I've destroyed a lot of people's lives. I've hurt a lot of families. A lot of people's lives by the way I was living mine. So this morning, I want you to understand is your sin always affects other people. And the ones in close contact with you suffer the most. Your sin always affects other people. You know, uh, I heard somebody uh, uh, say it or preach it or something, but, but they described it as throwing a rock into a pond. All right? Or, Right? Once the rock goes in, right, the ripple effects goes out and it touches all kinds, right? It just keeps on going out and out and it gets wider and wider and broader and broader. That's exactly what your sin does when you're engaged in sin that you won't give up. So the first thing we see is that after David's confronted, after David says, I've sinned against the Lord, he confesses his sins and he forsakes his sin, we see that uh, David's a changed man. So the child that's born becomes ill, just like God said. Verse 16 says, David pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So David went from living for himself, being an adulterer, being a liar, and being a murderer, to now he's a humble man, he's outstretched before God as low as he can get, he's humbled himself, and he is pleading he is begging God to spare his son. Now, picture this. Picture if you're in David's shoes in that moment of time, and you know that your son is going to suffer because of what you did. Now, I know what I'd be doing is I'd be laying on the floor, rocking back and forth, saying, please, Lord, please, Lord, don't take my son. Take me. I'm the one that sinned. Please, God, don't take my son. And I'm sure that's what David's doing. David is telling God, I'm the guilty one. Take me. I beg you. And so we know that the boy became ill in verse 15. It says, the Lord struck the child. So, so it was the Lord's hand that brought the illness on the child. 
And so why? Well, he tells us, he tells us that what David did, the deed that he did, that was before the world, that it brought dishonor to God's name. In other words, God, God is basically saying, David, I put you here to be a witness to all people that I love them, care for them, and I want to save them too. You're my representative. But now, David, you're living, you're living like the people that need to get saved. You've brought disrespect to my name. And this should be a good reminder to all of us this morning that God is very concerned about the testimony that you're leaving. And uh, testimony, right, just like your words, they're never in neutral gear. They're never in neutral. Either your testimony is speaking about God and His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy and His love, or your testimony is doing the very opposite of that. What is your testimony saying? What is it speaking to the world? It's either bringing honor or dishonor to God's name. Now, David knew that his son's sickness had to do with the sins that he committed against God. So David, right, he humbles himself. He pleads with God for the child. And so, I mean, again, it's not the same person, right, that took another man's wife and had the man and had that, uh, that woman's wife murdered. So it's interesting to think about this, right? The judgment that God is handing down to David didn't make, David didn't feel like it made God unapproachable. In other words, right, Instead, God's stiff hand comes down, here's the discipline, here's the judgment, right? It didn't, it didn't cause David to, to say, I can't go before God. I can't ask him anything. It didn't do that. In fact, right, God's discipline and judgment on David, it did the opposite. Because David's thinking, right, in his mind, he's saying, man, God could have killed me. He didn't. God didn't have to forgive me, and he did. And so, so David's, right, confidence to seek God, and plead, that's why he's able to be confident in seeking his child's life. David's thinking that since God forgave me for being an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer, just maybe... Just maybe if I pray and I humble myself and I beg God, just maybe he'll spare my son. So David prayed, fasted, and laid on the ground. Verse 17 tells us he wouldn't even eat. Now get it in your minds, right? David wouldn't even take the time to eat food because he didn't want to be interrupted in his prayers to be praying for his son before God. And this went on for how many days? Seven days. Verse 18 and 19 tell us that the child died on the seventh day. So David's servants, right, they know the child's dead. They're afraid to tell David because of the way he's acting while the child's alive, right? So, so they don't know. It says in verse 18, they think that, that, that when they tell David his child's gone, they think that David might even harm himself. And so this is important for all of us to understand this morning. David's prayers did not change the discipline or the judgment that God gave him. It didn't change it. In verse 19, David asked, is the child dead? They said, yeah, he's dead. So David did every single thing that he could do, and he trusted God with the rest, which is a good application for all of us, right? This is the same thing that we need to be doing, church. We have things that are in our lives now or things that are going to come into our lives or things that just came out of our lives, right? Uh, the things that we have no control over, right? It's a fiery trial. It's a trial that James says of various kinds. It's tribulation or trouble that's coming into your life. 
It's suffering. Paul talks about suffering, right? It's one of these things. It's not because you've been living bad. It's just a pressure-filled circumstance because life is hard. We're not in heaven yet. We have no control over whatever that situation is. So what we need to do, right, what we need to do when that happens is we need to do exactly the same thing that David did. We need to do everything that we can, pray, fast, confess, forsake, and trust God to do the rest. When he says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He's saying, don't look at your circumstances and throw up your hands. He says, don't do that. Trust in me. Don't look around. Acknowledge me in all your ways. In other words, he's talking about your daily life. And he says, I'm going to direct you a path. I'm going to provide a way for you to make it through that thing that you have no control over. But you got to do your part, and I'll do mine. That's what God is saying. So this is what we need to be doing, church. We have people in our congregation that are sick. We have people in our congregation that are hurting. We have people that are suffering financially. We have people that, with all kinds of things. These are not things that they went out and created. These are things that just came into their life all of a sudden out of nowhere because we've been promised as Christians that we're, we're not going to be able to navigate and not experience those things because we live in a fallen world. And so we need to be doing that for each other, for ourselves, for our people in our congregation. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to trust we need to renounce, we need to confess, we need to turn away from. And when we do all those things, God says, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. Don't look at your situation. I got you. So verse 20 says, David went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Now this is, this is, think about it. The first thing that David does after hearing about his child's death is worship the Lord. Now, he doesn't go shave, he doesn't go eat, he doesn't take a shower. This is important. He didn't run away from God because he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't curse God because God did exactly what he said he was going to do. What did he do? As soon as he found out that his child was gone, he gets up and he goes and he worships God. And so the servants, right, that are around him, they're looking at him, and they're like, what in the world is going on with this guy? Why is he mourning when the child's alive, but then after he finds out that his child's dead, he gets up and he goes, he goes back to life as, as normal, like no big deal. Right? To them, David's actions didn't make any sense. So this is important also for you to remember. Put yourself in David's shoes, right? His behavior, right, before the child died was based on the forgiveness that he, or, he had already received from God. In other words, David says, God has been merciful and gracious and forgiving to me. Maybe, maybe God will let my child live. I'll pray. I'll fast. I won't eat. I'll lay here and see what happens. And trust God because he's good. And then as soon... As his child dies, he gets up and he goes to worship the Lord. And you say, what's going on here? Because David knew in that moment, once he found out his 
his child was gone, at that moment he knew the will of God. Because if the will of God was to let that child live, he'd have been alive. But, but, but David understood when, when his child was gone, he understood that's God's will. That's what God wants. And he understood the finality of death. In fact, David says this, right? David knew his prayers wasn't going to bring his child back. In verse 24, David says, can I bring him back again? David says, do I have the power? He's asking a rhetorical question. Do I have the power? Is there anything that I can do? Is, that, is my child going to live on this earth anymore? Or come back? No. But this is a beautiful part. The very next thing he says after that, in verse 24, he says this. I shall go to him. I shall go to him. You know what David meant by that? David meant this. David is very clearly saying that one day he was going to join his child in heaven. He's saying, yep, my separation from my child is right now. It's ongoing, but it's going to be temporary. It ain't going to be for long. One day I'm going to be reunited with my child because my child is where? In heaven. And I'm saved. I've been bought. I'm going to heaven myself. And so I'm going to be with my child again. My child's in a far greater place, and one day I'm going to be with him forever. That's what he was saying when he said that. For those of you who lost a child, be encouraged because they're in heaven. And if you're saved, one day you're going to be with them in heaven too. Maybe you're right. I know I have. For those of you that lost someone that you love very, very much, that was saved, be encouraged. They're in heaven. And if you're saved one day, right, you're going to be with them in heaven forever too. Encouraging. David was content and he trusted in God's goodness. And this is the thing is, right? And so should we. And so should we. Psalms 31.19 says this, How great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. Who wrote that psalm? David. He wrote that. Our God is a forgiving God. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And this is what we see exactly what David did. David humbled himself. He prayed. He sought God's face. He turned from his sin and God heard him and forgave him. Right? Our God stands ready to forgive. He wants to forgive. It was God that sent Nathan to go confront David with his sin so he could confess it, so God could do what he wanted to do and put it away. God knew that he could not bless David when David was engulfed in that sin. God was trying to, to get David to a point where he would do what he did. We have a forgiving God. So the results of David's confession and sins being put away, I'm going to go through these quick, so you're going to have to be listening, is what led to his life being restored. So first thing is we're going to look at a restored household. First, God blessed his marriage to Bathsheba. So the first description of David and Bathsheba begins in verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. So, so for the first time that she's appeared in this story, Bathsheba is not called the wife of Uriah. Now she's called the wife of David. Second, 
For the first time, David began to treat her as his wife. It says he comforted her. Now, when David had her husband killed, there's no mention at all that David was comforting her. But now we see that David, right, is comforting his wife Bathsheba. That's what it says. How? How is this possible? Because they knew, David knew, that God had really put away his sin. Only now was it possible for David's marriage to Bathsheba to be unaffected by David's sin because David confessed it and turned away from it and now it was forgiven, it was put away, never to be judged or condemned for it or brought up again. Now their marriage could have God's stamp of approval on it because he got rid of the sin. And this is only because of grace and forgiveness. From this marriage, a son was born. Who was it? Solomon. And the Hebrew word for, uh, or the Hebrew uh, word for shalom is, a, is another word for Solomon. It means peace. It means peaceful. It means rest, restoration. Think about this. David and Bathsheba had a child born from adultery and murder, but now they give him a name which, which means peace. How? Because they both believed the Lord had really put away David's sin. The marriage and this child now had God's stamp of approval. Verse 24 says, The Lord loves Solomon. So David's marriage to Bathsheba was blessed by God. And again, how could a marriage with such beginnings receive God's favor? Because God had really put away David's sin. He was not holding his sins against him anymore. And the Lord's love for Solomon suggests, right, the Lord had set his love on Solomon like, just like he said it on David as his successor. We know that that's true. And then, uh, and then, so now, now the war of Rabbah uh, had begun before or the same time that uh, David had first caught sight of Bathsheba. So, so now David's sins forgiven. God honors his marriage to Bathsheba. God gives him another son, Solomon, which God loves. And the war that was going on during the time that David was doing all this sin, right, it was actually also the setting in which Bathsheba's husband Uriah was killed. So, so now we look as his family's restored. God honors his family, but also he's restored as king. So forth, verse 29. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. So this is the last great war that David won. God let him win the war after God put away his son or sin. God let him win this war. He restored him as king. Why? Because God had really put away his sin. And then 5th, verse 31 says, Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So, so David not only remains king, but he returns to Jer Jerusalem with his people now. He still stays as king, and he's in the safety of his city. Right? David's, uh, David's restoration, right? Man, it's just amazing to go through this story and see. And it's all because, right, David admitted, confessed, and repented of his sin. And God did exactly what he said he would do, and he put away his sin. So God blessed David's marriage to Bathsheba. God gave him another son, Solomon, which was David's successor. God uh, gave David victory in the war that he was in. God let David and his people return home. And God let David remain the king of Israel. Was David a restored man? Yes. And he wants to restore you this morning. If you'll just do what he did and get that sin out of your life. What we need to walk away from today out of this passage is, 
is none of these things would have ever happened if David wouldn't have admitted, confessed, and turned away from his sin. David would have never been blessed. He would have never been restored. It would have never happened. It was only because David confessed, repented, and God forgave him. So Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So in other words, right, God says, hey, if you're living in sin, you're not going nowhere. But if you'll confess and repent, turn away from it, you'll obtain mercy. And you know what the mercy is? Is forgiveness. In other words, God's way of saying is, I'll put away your sin. I'll never hold it against you. I'll never throw it in your face. I'll never condemn you for it. I'll never judge you for it. But you've got to turn away from it. You've got to confess and turn away from it. So here's your application. Uh, Ace, you can come on back up. The story of David Wright should encourage you. It encourages me. The Lord stands ready to forgive. So this morning, maybe you don't have a relationship with God, but God says this, I stand ready to put away your sin through my son, Jesus Christ. If you will humble yourself, you'll believe that my son died for your sins on the cross that I raised him three days later, and you will turn from your sin You'll be my child in a moment of time. I'll put away your sin. You'll never be judged or condemned for it. Another encouragement is that no matter how much or how bad a person has sinned, God will forgive it. There's only one sin that God will not forgive. And that is, right, is the sin is if you don't accept the gift of forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the only sin. Remember this morning, David was an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer we have from this text. And God forgave him. And just three, just because God forgives you or puts away our sin does not mean that we will not face consequences for our actions. We'll receive them and also it's ripple effects down the road. So I would tell you this morning is, is stop the bleeding. It can stop today. All you got to do is get right with God. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just... God, this is amazing. This text is so amazing about how you put away David's sin, how you put away my sin. And every person in here should be a great reminder and encouraged today, God, to know what you actually done and accomplished on the cross. But God, somebody, the person has to come to you, Lord, has to come to you in belief and repentance before they can receive the, the, the gift of forgiveness. So I pray, God, for that person, two, three, I don't know. It's in here today, God, if they're listening to these words, they know they need to come down and get saved. I just pray, God, you give them courage and strength to step out and say, I need to be forgiven by God. And also, Lord, I pray for the person, Lord, who knows you. They truly know you. They feel the weight of your hand on them. They're groaning day and night just like David was, but they don't want to let their sin go. I pray, God, you give them strength and courage to come down to this altar today, God, and give it to you. So you can put away their sin, God, so you can have fellowship with them, so you can restore them and their household. So thank you, God, for this privilege to be able to to declare, declare today your forgiveness that you freely offer to all. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you need to do business with the Lord, come down to the altar. If you want to, let me know.
Amen. He's worthy to be praised. Amen. Uh, Danny, won't you pray us out?